Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today as part of our podcast here, which is powered by Upside Global, we have the honor to interview Isaiah Kazivansky, the founder and managing partner of World Ventures, a venture capital investment fund focusing on sports technology. Isaiah is also a former NFL player who played for the Seattle Seahawks, Oakland, and St. Louis. So Isaiah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julie. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, excited to to, to walk through uh, where we're kind of Will Ventures started out as an idea and now uh, kind of uh, just moving into closing our second fund and excited about what lays ahead. That's great. So Isaiah, uh, so to that point, what I wanted to talk to you about today was first, I'd love to hear more about your background and then we'll talk about your VC, uh, Will Ventures, and then we'll talk about your investment thesis as well as your advice for young entrepreneurs looking to raise money as well as anyone looking to start a career in sports investments. So how does it sound? That sounds fantastic. Great. So uh, for the audience, could you start by telling us about your background? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll uh, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version, but uh, grew up in, in upstate New York and grew up in poverty. Um, yeah. Was the youngest of five kids uh, and uh, was homeless for uh, parts of my childhood as well. And I uh, realized early on in my life that sports and academics were my way out. And yeah, I just realized that I did not want to live like that. I didn't want, when I eventually was going to have a family, I didn't want them to live like that either. Mm -hmm. So that poverty for me was real and a, a, a big motivator early on. And the second kind of piece for me that really clicked was realizing that, um, you know, lived in an amazing country where I could really, really define my own path. Um, some things are you know, already hand bump, you know, as far as the freedom to, you know, chart my own path, blaze my own trail, uh, make my own decisions. Uh, I, I realized that super early and a lot of that was through the help of, of my mother, uh, early on. She, she really, really, uh, exposed us to books and reading and Martin Luther King Jr. and would listen to that uh, weekly as a family and, yeah. and starting to understand, um, A, how the world was changing, but also uh, that opportunity was to lie ahead if I was willing to put the work in as well. And, you know, fast forward, I, you know, I made up my mind uh, at that point and worked extremely hard in, in school and sports, uh, ended up going to school at Harvard University as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say the the last place in the world I ever thought I would have found myself. Thought I would have been kind of amazing, yeah. Yeah, Man. thought I would have been a complete misfit, not fit in at all, and um, it really changed how I looked at the world. It was an amazing, amazing experience. There's people there from all walks of life, and uh, it was just a fantastic experience. For me, you know, I always like to say 
it, it taught me to feed this level of curiosity that kind of was woken up inside me. Things that had stood for long periods of time, question, right? Question everything. And it was, it was an amazing way to learn. I mean, it was really served me well, you know, even in, you know, being a venture capitalist right now, it's really yeah. served me well, constantly questioning, constantly curious around that. I knew I wanted to play in the NFL. My backup plan was to be a doctor. And I was a pre-med undergrad, held down four jobs uh, and lived the life of a hermit <laughs> during my wow. four years there. I'll fast forward again. I ended up being uh, drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, played in the, uh, sorry, yeah, the, drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, uh, played in the NFL for eight years from 2000 to 2008. Uh, primarily uh, with the Seahawks, was the three-time captain there, was one of the captains of the first Super Bowl team. Never a superstar, though. Barely survived every single week. Mm -hmm. Not even every year. It's like it's every single week in the NFL. Just, there's no guaranteed contracts. But but did that. And uh, in, in really, I was when I was drafted in 2000, I was hit a signing bonus for $275,000 and was A, floored. And if you've ever read, read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I had zero I a, a background around finance, economics. I was always kind of science-based and all my studies. So I, I literally knew nothing. And put the, to put this in context as well, my, my father made you know, somewhere around $7,000 a year, my senior year of high school. So I was like, oh, I yeah, completely blown away um, around, around that. And for the first time in my life, though, when I was drafted, I realized that uh, I had free time. And I'd never had free time before during the off seasons um, on being able to, to do that. So I spent the next three, my first three years in the NFL in my off seasons, learning everything I could about public and private markets, finance, economics, read every book I could, talk to as many people as I could, mm -hmm. really from the ground up. And in 2003, started angel investing, embedding into uh, companies and being a fly on the wall. Uh, the companies I invest into, how to take a concept, commercialize it, how to build a team, execute against a strategy, and was just uh, you know an amazing lightweight way for me to learn. I'll fast forward again. By the time I retired in 2008, decided I didn't want to be a doctor. I eventually wanted to get into venture venture capital. I wanted to start a venture capital fund. I did not know how to do that. Yeah, I figured I needed a, a a formal base of knowledge. So I went to Harvard Business School, got my MBA. And uh, figured that would give me the right kind of you know, skill set to, to go out and like, figure something out. Uh, so so went there, got a great piece of advice when I was in business school. If you eventually want to start a venture capital fund, I always thought if you want to start a fund, you start as an associate at a, another fund and work your way up and then go start. Yeah. That's typically said, what people advise. Yeah, exactly. And a great, and a great mentor, uh, Rick Frisbee, who's one of the founders of Battery Ventures, he said, don't do that my recommendation for you is to be an entrepreneur. So you have this authentic understanding of how difficult it is uh, to be an entrepreneur, to put yourself in those shoes and understand how to, you know, face those immense odds uh, along with them. And he was hundred percent correct. It was an amazing piece of advice. And, you know, from there, um, you know, ended up joining an amazing uh, startup, uh, MC10. Uh, a company I remember that. that yeah. Yeah. Later acquired by Dassault Systems, a large French conglomerate, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And I worked for Kenzen at the time. I, I mean, around that time, I think um, that's exactly. why I think maybe I, we, we connected at the time. But yeah, great, uh, great startup. Yeah. 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 No, it was great. And then, um, you know, really met my co-founder of Will Ventures, Brian Riley, uh, 
where we've been working together. You've been at MC10 and we've been working together for 12 years now, going on 12 years, which is crazy. Yep. Crystallizing this idea from when we left, well, uh, when we left MC10, we want to take a research-backed thesis-driven approach around, you know, this perceived niche market sports, how does it actually push into massive adjacencies uh, across consumer, health, and media primarily? And yeah, I know we're going to unpack that later, but, you know, really started to crystallize this thesis uh, and then took a research-backed thesis-driven approach, starting mm -hmm. a sports innovation lab and a B2B market research and analysis group as a stepping stone to then go start Will Ventures Fund One. Uh, was vintage year 2019 and we just closed uh fun too and happy to kind of walk through but hopefully it gives you kind of a sense of you know kind of background and you know when we did connect and you know um you know what what's what's transpired since as well well for, first of all you know amazing background i mean to to you know from where you started and you know playing the nfl and you know becoming a vc uh a vc guy i mean it's kind of a, almost unheard of right so congrats to you <laughs> yeah, on I that mean, no, I, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, there's been a, a ton of people to help me along the way. And I think it's this, I've always looked at the world the same way, which is you might not be perfect on a, trying to achieve anything you wanted to do, but if you put your best foot forward every single day and work ex extremely hard, as hard as you possibly can every single day, yeah, it, it gives you a chance and it gives you a possibility. And we, talk, we, we say the same thing. I mean, our venture fund itself, Wool Ventures, is it really speaks to that power of human well, which is directly how we talk and interact. And our name itself is a nod to entrepreneurs in that journey, how difficult it is, right? In the face of immense odds, finding a way. Yeah. And under completely understanding that. And we look at ourselves, even Will Ventures, we look at ourselves as a startup. We want to roll up our sleeves and work hard along alongside our entrepreneurs. Super, super important. So, so you mean like you, because I see a lot, a lot more VCs kind of really help not just to give the, the startup the money, but really helping them with operations and more than just, yeah, here's a paycheck, but they really maybe help to open some doors, help with operations. That's, it seems yeah. it like it's it's becoming more and more of a, of a trend these days among some VCs. Yeah, I mean, in, in the end, I mean, there's, there's you know, some people that, you know, some groups, some blue chip groups, like Andreessen Horowitz is a great example. Yeah. On, on taking that model of, it's not just capital, it's, it's things outside of that as well that help yep. really help you differentiate yeah, yeah, the network, the access um, and how efficient, you know, that you can help in a lot of different aspects, things that are front of mind, things that keep entrepreneurs up at, at night. Yeah. That's those things that you can help on, you know, operationally and HR wise and, you know, mm -hmm. all these different aspects, putting syndicates together as far as capital and, and other aspects all super important, all unbelievably helpful for entrepreneurs, you know, finding, you know, strategic, uh, you know, uh, strategic conversations for, for companies, all super important and get yeah. more. And it, it, it's a, it's a great model and it's something that, you know, we're excited to, to fully embrace. And yeah, I, I really think, you know, that is the key differentiator over the, as you, as you look at, you know, kind of evolution of venture capital, that would be, key differentiator, those groups that are willing to do that or just kind of throw money over a wall, right? Because those days are over. Yeah. You kind of just throw money over a wall and, and be dead weight on a cap table. And, you know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of you know, blood, sweat and tears alongside the entrepreneur to pull all of that together to to actually deliver on what what is defined as value add. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, for the, for the entrepreneurs. Uh, but 
unbelievably important how to differentiate. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, I, and I think you, you talked a little bit about some of the areas of investments, but uh, can you tell me more about what areas that you guys are focusing on today and why you're focusing on specific areas? Like I know, for example, you invested yeah. in um, Street FC, and I know Dennis, great guy, yeah. G entrepreneur. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, can you know give examples of the portfolio, but you know, generally speaking, you know, our lens, uh, you know, we have this sector specific lens. So first off, this perceived niche market, you know, sports has always been narrowly defined, right? Where this yeah. is kind of and we're saying, hey, let's broadly define it and show how sports, you know, this sector specific lens touches large adjacent markets. And again, primarily across consumer health and media but not limited to that, right? What feels yep. really inflexible is actually very flexible on the types of markets that we look at. I would say in general, and I can get, I can, we can drill down to, to more aspects of this. In general, really divide out, you know, two major parts of our theses. Um, one is really around this idea of human performance, uh, area you know, you know well as well. Yeah. But this idea of how do people uh, you know, this, this kind of quantified athlete is an extension of quantified self, but how do people take guesswork out of how they feel their best day in and day out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, around that, uh, technology is going to play a major role in that quantified self will be realized, right? There's absolutely yeah. no massive industry. This idea of, you know, all of us, each of us having a prescriptive path on feeling our best is going to be there. How do we recover quickest from injury? Our thesis around this is elite athletes are the most motivated to get the most out of their body. Their body is their business. And they can be the early adopter, but in the end, that's that really trickles down to a larger group of people as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of different spokes to that wheel. There's a lot of different areas in which you can do, you, you, you can make that happen um, on, from hardware to software to nutrition. Um, we look at segments from, you know, injury rehabilitation, et cetera. There's a lot of, innovation that's still to come and kind of mm-hmm. those markets the other side of the thesis is really around how does you know sports truly is the last captive audience live sports live sporting events are the last captive audience as we shift from linear cable to ott and streaming that is uh an area that everyone refuses to time shift it's live sporting event right yeah uh, as as you kind of you know, we can time shift everything else, but you don't watch Monday Night Football on Tuesday. You just don't. And the value of a live sporting event over the next decade is going to drastically increase, continue to increase the importance of a live sporting event. And that as the ultimate tool for engagement will be there as well, mm-hmm. which is, you know, kind of really, really a curveball to a lot of people 20 years ago, how they were thinking about this evolution, even 10 years ago. I mean, you know that as well. So again, yep. kind of sports, and then all of, as you look at engagement, that's kind of the there's a there's a ton of tangential and adjacent markets around that as well. Those are kind of two major theses as well. But you know, we can really cut across from creator economy to communities to you know physical therapy to fan engagement to health and wellness to yeah to sports betting to iGaming, gaming uh, e commerce fintech as it intersects with a lot of different areas. Uh, yeah. And then we've got, you know, and again, we've taken this research back thesis driven approach. We do deep dives on our research, really get a prepared mind for the markets that we, we touch and really look for talented entrepreneurs pushing into these markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I forgot to ask you also one of the, obviously one of the big 
topic of the day these days is like things like NFTs and the metaverse space. And we've seen, for example, this week, well, it's more like crypto, but uh, there's been some companies that are really yeah. struggling, right? And it's been a lot of stories and headlines. What is your take on this whole, first, the metaverse space and maybe the NFT space? What is your take on yes. what's happening? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. Um, luckily, uh, we have been tracking this space uh, for a long time. We have not yeah. made a play in this space, though. So you know, our job is to really, really, again, as I've kind of walked through crystallized points of view on spaces, really where um, there are, we have deep conviction around, uh, you know, around a space, around an entrepreneur, all, you know, all of that kind of aligning and coming together. We never got there. We still have not gotten there with, you know, kind of those intersections of kind of Web3, crypto, et cetera, yep. and the engagement around that. Uh, that's not to say there won't be. Uh, but we have not made a play in that space. Uh, and, you know, it turns out that's probably the right move for now. But I think you're right. I think you actually made a right decision not to, you know, jump in too quickly because I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 12 months. I think some people will, some companies will, you know, will not survive. They may shut yeah. down or they may acquire. So it's too early to tell, I think, who the winners yeah. are going to be. I mean, of course, there are companies like Sorare. And even Dapper yeah. Labs, right? Dapper Labs, they have some cuts. And um, so it's it's tough right now. So, Yeah, absolutely. I, and again, I do believe there will be, the, you know, kind of a long-term strategy. Uh, may not look what people thought it would look like, but there yeah. will be some winners coming out of it. There's no doubt. Not everyone will be will be shut off. And a lot of this is around, especially you think about kind of et cetera, where are the killer, killer, killer applications around utility and kind of yeah. use over time? Um, scarcity becomes a much more complex <laughs> discussion around, you know, if you have a digital asset and everything else, but, you know, still interesting, cracking closely and really it's, it's our job, right. To develop points of view and yep. uh, be opportunistic when we, when, to, to be able to see this. And then you'll see valuations got get, we're getting way out of hand, particularly in that space, yep. which, you know, we are highly disciplined investors, uh, not, not, not kind of um, you know, chasing, uh, you know, other kind of syndicates and capital, but be able to do that. I think those valuations are come down as well to, to what you alluded to. So I agree. Um, we, we continue to watch the space. Yep. That makes sense. Um, but you know, my, my next question is more around when you make an investment, right? So what are you look, typically looking for when investing in a company? Is it, uh, the, the people, do they have the right technology? Are they in the right market? Uh, what is it? What makes you decide, you know what, I'm going to invest in that startup? Yeah, no, it's, it's an awesome question. And um, it's, this, there's a long answer for this. Yeah. But I'll give you, I'll give you the abridged version um, around you really, how, how we look at the market. So we have a, a lot of really what I'll call fancy work uh, and detailed work that goes in prior to us looking at markets in conjunction too, right? On the yeah. deep diligence, research backing, et cetera. So really developing points of view onto markets that we feel are very large, maybe underserved or right for disruption. And then, you know, when we look, when we talk, look at companies and um, we look at entrepreneurs, uh, which kind of flips back to your question, you know, we want to see that opportunity and, we typically like general rule of thumb. We typically like multi-decade tailwinds, right? Uh, mm -hmm. For any area that we cover, you know, companies around this, and it could come in a variety of factors, but you know, multi 
decade tailwinds and the opportunity for this company to be a market leader, right? And those are kind of the two aspects. Part and parcel to that is the quality of the entrepreneur, which is, again, speaks to our name and it speaks to, um, you know, is this entrepreneur the right person to take this company to the promised land? Um, mm-hmm. To go execute against a strategy, uh, to be agile. We know, you know, Brian and I being former entrepreneurs, we know how difficult it is to build a business. Yeah. No, nothing goes perfectly well, but the ability to be agile and react when you have to test, retest, test again uh, around kind of what's working all really, really important. So, you know, that we spend tons of time going through and getting to know entrepreneurs, what really makes them tick. Right. And there's a lot of different fancy ways, look at market sizing, et cetera. Yeah. We've also really tried to quantify the experience of getting to know the entrepreneur and their ability uh, to really, really uh, go execute, motivate, lead, uh, and again, kind of deliver to the promised land as well. And we, we really feel like we've got a great way to do that. Um, and, and a lot of that's just, you have to spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs, right? And yeah, you have to know them, yeah. Like, you know, some of the things we do like, which um, which are great, uh, you know, great relationships with entrepreneurs that have exited once or twice, multi, you know, multi-exits as well, where you yep. then have a blueprint to scale. You've been there. You've been in the fire before. You understand how hot that can get. And you understand, um, you know, you've probably found your way out of like chips being down, finding a way kind of around that as well. We like that, right? And I think um, those aspects get kind of heavily weighted, although we never discount a first-time entrepreneur. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, but we have our entire system kind of internally around that. So, you know, from market to people, uh, you nailed it with the, the person, especially the early stage, you know, defining and where we're at, uh, we are rigorous in how you do it, but it's really is much more of an art than a science. And it's really about execution, traction, et cetera. We feel like we can bring a lot of value early on. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, obviously right now it's, you know, with the economy and the slowdown and I mean, even the war in Ukraine, um, all those different factors, right? So what advice would you give to any startups looking to raise money right now? It's, it's a tough environment, right? There's no yeah. question. So what would what yeah. advice would you give? Yeah, it's an awesome question and timely, right? As you mentioned, oh. Julian. Uh, yeah. I, I think so. There's a, there's a couple of things. Um, yeah, I think you know, over the last several years, people were getting credit in a fundraising environment. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. And um, again, we maintain a very, very high level, level of discipline going through this. But if you were an entrepreneur on the other side, uh, you could get a valuation that would give you credit for what you're going to do two years or three years from now versus mm-hmm. what you're actually fundamentally doing now um is is a little crazy now there's always gonna be some of that in, in venture capital particularly at seed stage which is our kind of entry point right yeah being able to do that where we have kind of significant ownership we reserve about 50 percent of our capital for follow-on all that's uh you know kind of you know very important on that front so there's valuations and the ability to raise there's a lot of, lot of money sloshing around right you're mm-hmm. starting to see whether it's, you know, the blue chip funds were able to raise. So there's a lot of captive capital. Yep. But other than blue chip funds, the other money, you know, if, if you are not a, not a blue chip fund, you went out to go raise, unbelievably difficult environment, right, as well. So a lot of those a lot of those emerging funds will kind of disappear as well. 
Yeah. And then a lot of that high net worth and family office money stops us around. All right. So the fundraising environment, that's a lot of that stuff's eliminated, makes it more challenging for the entrepreneurs to raise, which is kind of to your point. Um, if you have strong fundamentals, though, uh, your ability to raise and your, your ability to continue to raise uh, will be there because there is there is still capital. Even if people some people are putting a pause uh, on that, there's still going to be capital. Yeah. Uh, the biggest piece of advice that we give you know, entrepreneurs, even in our portfolio, or like entrepreneurs that we know, uh, that we talk to, uh, really, really try to extend runway as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. they, that planning has been done, right? Uh, prior yeah. to, uh, prior to that. Um, but I, I will say this over time. So extending runway, super important, um, you know, batting down the hatches to be able to kind of make, make it through, uh, you know, ideally over the next you know, year, year, year and a half, two years. Yeah. Um, I know that's that might be tough in in, in some situations as well. Mm-hmm. Histor- the last thing I'll say is historically, though, uh, to your to your other well, to your, I think to uh, related to this question is, you know, if you look at kind of recessions and companies that were born out of recession during the very very tough times, this is the time where innovation uh, and new companies that are you know life changing, game changing are created and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that is something I always also keep in mind. So, uh, and, and that happens if you look at cycles where you know, unbelievably like a talented tech force or tech workers, um, engineers laid off and yeah. they, they now have an opportunity. Do you want to take another you know corporate job or job working for somewhere else? Or you want to go start something, you bet you, this is your opportunity to go do that. And that's what you're seeing. I think there's a real opportunity of that now where you have a ton of talent, uh, back into the, you know, kind of, uh, you know, entrepreneur pool as, as kind of, as a possibility. And I think that you could see some you know amazing companies coming out of that as well. Yeah. It's funny you said that because I've seen some people putting some VCs on LinkedIn, putting some, uh, you know, saying, look, if you've been laid off by one of those big tech companies, they're writing checks for a couple of young entrepreneurs. So I think it's definitely a trend. And we've seen some big companies. I remember Airbnb, I think came out of a, a, you know, a big recession. So, you know, you might see some big unicorn coming out of this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's more as well. Air, Airtable is another good example. Uh was created during the last recession as well. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, great examples over time on doing that because like you, you, your role got shut up and you now have an opportunity to go create something. Yeah. 100%. Um, hey, uh, Last question is, you know, obviously you've gone that path, you got into venture capitalism, uh, you know, from being an athlete to a, a VC person. So what advice would you give to anyone interested in starting a career in sports investments right now? What would be your uh, advice? Yeah, uh, it's a good, there's another good question as well. Um, well, first I typically get the question around like sports in general, which, yeah. The way we've defined sports, uh, it touches a lot of different ways. So people traditionally think like, oh, traditional sports, you got to work, work, work with a team or, you know, maybe some kind of big brand that's in sport. But there's there's a whole kind of ecosystem as you if you think kind of broadly, there's there's different ways in. Now, the sports investment world itself. Now, when we were creating this um, around you know, the sports investment world pretty much did not exist. Right. It was uh typically like a hobbyist investor market which is like oh sports cool i'll throw you know you maybe have like a wealthy team owner like throwing some money yeah 
um, you know, that way. But, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily you know, professionalized kind of across the board. Um, I think, you know, I think taking the path, though, especially particularly how we look at it, is, would be the same. Yeah, I know you, you asked specifically around sports investment world. I would just say investment yeah. period. Yeah, it's tough to break into. It's just historically been tough. I realized that early on as well, where um, it was just going to be really, really tough to break through without you know, a background. Although I did have a background, I was going to have. I, I eventually had to realize I was going to have to bet on myself, right? And Brian mm-hmm. and I both, we had we were going to have to bet on ourselves and, and kind of go do that. Um, but I would say, you know, those paths around from starting a, a business on, you know, which is kind of where I started, which is like starting as an entrepreneur or getting experience and general investment experience and then turning a passion towards sports. I think there's a lot of different ways in yeah. to the sports investment world as well. So hopefully that answers the question. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a I it's funny. It's, it's a market, uh, again, we like to think of ourselves as sector specific and generalists in the, in the markets we touch, but you know, sports, not, not surprisingly, it just evokes a ton of passion, which is part yeah. of, you know, one of the you know, major core core aspects of our thesis, right. Um, around that, especially on the media side. And again, you got to be passionate. Yep. I mean, uh, in, especially in America, right. In the United States, sports yep. is a big thing. I mean, I'm from France and yeah, we love soccer and everything, but I think in the U S it almost gets to another level because uh, there's so many big sports, yeah. right? So yeah, I, I agree. I mean, but like you raise a good point too. It like sports is a it's a global language and it's a global passion. Yeah. Now the sport itself may change, but the fact is, the you know the passion around the sport and the uh, connectivity that you can really create uh, is is core to like you know to human nature, right? You want to connect and you want to. Yeah you know, align and you want to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, feel like you belong and that's core to that. It's not going away. Right. And, and kind of all the advances are only making that deeper yeah. passion. There's no doubt. And then it's definitely not going away. I think people sometimes they say that sports is recession proof, right? Yeah. Uh, people yeah, would always watch sports regardless of the like, economy. I always like the, be- I, I, whenever I hear that, I always like, yeah, it's recession proof like i i, would, I never want to say anything's recession proof right but all mm-hmm. the makings for it I, I couldn't agree more you know kind of around that um, yeah. it, has, it has that and if you look at again down markets up markets whatever the constant is there is very little difference on uh and, and there's actually a case to be made during a time of recession people lean into sports more for a lot yeah. of host of those <laughs> of other reasons as well so well, even during COVID, i think there was maybe more people watching sports online because they had, they were more, they're staying at home more and they're working from home and all that. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, but, but look, we, we, we are at the end of the, the, the interview, but I wanted to thank you for, for your time. It was a great, uh, great conversation. So thank you. Likewise, Julian, uh, great to catch up and uh, congrats on everything. And yeah, super excited to, to continue the conversation with you. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.